In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Starting at the beginning, we should be able to explain to anyone how we believe in the existence of God just from seeing the stars at night when we're camping or being at the ocean or knowing every morning exactly what time the sun is going to come up. Just like the, the ordered books in the library that reveal that someone did that and is keeping them in order, the order and the beauty of the natural world proclaim the existence of God. I hope that's comfortable. I hope we're not reminding people that their natural reason can know that God exists because it's written in First Romans and the church teaches it infallibly. That's ironic, isn't it? I don't know anyone that really does that, but, you know, it illustrates how um, our, our, our belief in God is an evangelization. It should be as simple as, well, two plus two really equals four. So we shouldn't, um, shouldn't be in any way let people associate that with religion. Now, to be clear, we believe, I believe in our Lord and Savior, in his death and resurrection, and because of his resurrection and ascension, in his divinity, because of the witness of the apostles. At the very, very least, because of the witness of the tomb of St. Peter being thousands of miles away from where it all happened, and the church built on top of it. But that happened because he spent his whole life preaching the Christian gospel, which no one would ever make up except for a, a mad fool who wants to be poor and persecuted and executed. Right? There's no ulterior motive in making up Christianity. Nowadays, whether it be lay or clergy, there's plenty of ulterior motives for faking Christianity. In many parts of the world, there are lots of ways to get ahead because of it. Granted, and there are many more countries where it's an easy way to get um, in trouble. So we pray, especially this week, for our brothers and sisters in Burkina Faso, where there's now one less Christian town uh, in the northern, eastern range of that country. Because we believe in the divinity of Christ, we believe in the Holy Trinity. He reveals it. He prays to God the Father. He promises to send the Holy Spirit. And, of course, the Holy Spirit won't come, shouldn't come before our Lord leaves. So the Holy Spirit is obviously not just something that Jesus does, but it actually is a person who's equal in dignity and power and authority to him. The Trinity is as straightforward as simply taking our Lord at face value. And reflecting just a little bit on his, his words and his prayers especially. What it reveals to us about the nature of God and the nature of man. 
is not so simple, or at least not adequately described briefly. To, to be for God <clears throat> is to love. And to love is not to be alone lovingly, but is to love another. To be God is to be almighty. That then which nothing greater can be conceived. As explained by St. Anselm, TTWNGCBC. How can God be almighty and be love, always be love of another who is there? Is God all love? And had to make us in order to have someone to love, in which case may be the most powerful of all beings, but it doesn't sound like the God of the universe that needs to be worshipped as though it's almighty, never moved by necessity. Or there's God who is all might, all power. Not only beyond reason, but against reason. Some of our neighbors in and from the Middle East espouse this notion of the absolute, unquestioned power of God. Irreconcilable, irreconcilable. It's good that I mess up my own words and not just the words of the missile. Right? I apologize for missing the amen at the end of the epistle and turning sacredly into shakily for whatever reason. So, irreconcilable with love and genuine mercy. Christians are able to proclaim that God truly is almighty and truly is love and didn't have to create the universe to have someone to love because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Something we can't figure out by reason. We can only receive it as faith, which is to say because we trust Jesus, because we're confident that he's God. We're willing to stake our lives on that. In fact, we know that he's God. Another way to think through it, perhaps helpful, hopefully not too simplistic. To be is to love and to love another. Love can't only be the love of one and another. To love is to love another and to love another. The eternal union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Revealed to us the complete outpouring of one to another, which results in life. 
God the Father completely empties himself and God the Son is begotten. God the Son completely loves God the Father and so proceeds the Holy Spirit. And so in the season of graduations and weddings these weeks, meditating on the Holy Trinity is a time well spent. If we are in our 20s, our life is at least one-fourth, well, at least one-fifth over, right? Quite probably one-fourth complete. We do not have time to waste. And you know that, especially those of you visiting monasteries and marrying and bringing your babies for baptism. How will the world continue to believe in God and in Jesus Christ? Hopefully the world will continue to believe in God because they go camping and go to the ocean and turn off their phones and occasionally look at the order and the beauty of nature. Maybe we can help them. They will continue to believe in the divinity of Christ and in the Holy Trinity when there are Christians who still, without any ulterior motive, proclaim the gospel, be they consecrated religious or ordained men or married Christians. And the, the, the nun or sister or the brother or priest who's not in it for their own gain or to avoid working for a living, but who genuinely lives the vocation as a gift and a sacrifice, who is intending to be empty and spent at the end of the day and at the end of their lives, can be a convincing witness in the very same way that a a mom and dad who have a genuinely Christian understanding of marriage can convince the world that this is all really true. Everyone can marry as a human being when marrying, right, an unmarried person of the opposite sex. But how is it that Christians marry differently? Not just by virtue of a ceremony, and obviously the fact that they're baptized, that's significant, but, but be very clear, when a Christian marries, they're, they're marrying to be indelibly bound to each other, irrevocably, and completely open to life, which does not mean always trying to go out of their way to be pregnant, but not contracepting. The world would regard that as, as heroic or as impossible or as absurd as being religious or being ordained. It is categorically a different way of life, a different vocation from what its natural counterpart might only be or its deficient Christian counterpart is so often. 
Is there any other natural manifestation of the Trinity? What happens here is supernatural. So as we reflect on the mystery of the Holy Trinity, whether it be in how we hold our fingers in imitation of our Eastern brothers and sisters, remember it, the, the Latin rule for, for a priest is to have their fingers flat, parallel, or in how we bow when we hear the name of the Trinity or make the sign of the cross. Or how we say the words invoking the name of all three. We are not just simply identifying a mystery that we happen to know. We are reminding ourselves, especially superimposed upon the cross, that to be is to love. And to love is to sacrifice. And to belong to God, to be conformed, not just by nature, made in his image and likeness, but to be, to be conformed to him sacramentally, is already to have begun to be a sacrifice. So let us love. Love God and one another and another. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.